0: What's up ninjas and ninjas, welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim Cameron-Kitchen, I'm head ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a digital marketing agency helping small and medium-sized businesses generate more leads and sales from their website. And that, coincidentally, is exactly what this show is all about, helping you to generate more leads and sales through your website. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Larry Ludwig. Now, Larry started a blog in 2008, in the last recession, timely, and um, sold that blog about 10 years later for $6 million in cash, which is no small feat. So he came onto the show, we talk about really three things, how he grew it to a stage where it was really valuable, how he monetized it so it was actually worth something, and then also how he sold it. And there are lessons in here in each of those areas for businesses, not just who run blogs or magazine or content type sites, but actually for any of us. Um, So Larry's a really, really interesting guy, fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get this. And by the way, if you need any help with your digital marketing, that is exactly what we're here for. And I'm not here to sell you anything, but if you need some free help, then what we do is this thing called a free website and marketing review and the free website and marketing review means that you go to our site ExposureNinja.com you fill in a short questionnaire about your business about your website and about the things which frustrate you most about it and where you want to get to with it and what we'll do then is have a look at it On a video in front of you so we'll record as we're going through your website having a look at what it could be doing better we'll also have a look at how you're driving traffic at the moment we'll take a look at what your competitors are doing and then we'll put together a prioritized action plan that you can follow to get more leads and sales through your website it's completely free and it's completely awesome so go to ExposureNinja.com to request your free marketing review but without further ado enjoy the episode with Larry Ludwig. Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tim. As you know, in this podcast, we go behind the scenes of a particular strategy that you use to grow a business. Uh, we'll find out what you did, how well it worked, and what you learned. Ready to lift the curtain? <laughs> Most definitely, or, or open the Komodo, as uh, people say as well. <laughs> exactly. So, um, opening the Komodo a bit on investor the Junkie, then. Perhaps you could give us a bit of background. What is it, and how did it make money? Or how does uh, it make well, money? Well, how did, I mean, I started in 2009, and
1: it was really for my frustration working with other clientele, believe it or not, meaning I was developing websites and hosting websites for other companies. And I saw how they grew, literally grew their blogs from nothing to multi-million dollar businesses. And I'm like, why can't I do that for myself? And instead of building in businesses for others, create a blog, in my case, something I had passion and interest in, investing. So I did it in 2009, I created this blog and monetized it from affiliate marketing. And I guess the genesis of the idea of using affiliate marketing and only affiliate marketing, about two years prior, about a year prior, another affiliate marketing site, uh, Bankaholic, in the States was sold for $12 million. And that kind of piqued my interest that it was not only it was affiliate marketing, you know, that's the way they monetized it, but it was through um, only one person. So mm-hmm. that really piqued my interest that how could someone, you know, literally a sole entrepreneur, create a business and sell it for $12 million. So that kind of uh, got the gears turning. Well, why don't I create a blog myself and do it through affiliate marketing? Because prior to that, I already had some experience and knowledge of affiliate marketing, not only for the, the companies I worked with, but my, with my own business, with web hosting, web development. I would sell certain services through affiliate marketing channels. So it worked pretty well. And I I, I guess from there, I, the gears were turning and I'd figure out, you know, why not do this myself?
0: And then fast forward to 2018, you had a. Uh... A reasonably successful exit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. Uh, I sold it for 16 million, 16
0: million, 6 million uh, in
1: 2018.
0: And it's important to say that's cash. That's not like a, oh, we we'll give you two hundred thousand and then the rest in stock or the rest over the next fifteen years if we hit these goals. That's not a six million deal, is it? That's six million cash.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there. To me, the the idea of doing something where we've discussed this off air before we went on this podcast. Doing it doing a partnership or doing something like that where you it's payouts over years to me is I think a recipe for disaster for most people. Not to say in some cases you can do out better, but I think honestly you wanna do something that's all or nothing. It's like being half pregnant. You wanna do something where you sell it outright and not have to deal with the partnership the complications that come with partnerships because mm-hmm. of especially if you lose that controlling interest, I think you're you're getting yourself more into trouble especially as an entrepreneur, that you want to, usually as an entrepreneur, the whole advantage of doing that is control and ownership, where if Mm. you give that up, you got to understand you you no longer own this business. It's no different than now that, uh, you know, I no longer own Investor Junkie, and the new owners are, you know, doing fine with it, but, you know, obviously there's certain things I may not agree with. You know, I've been paid not to care anymore. You know, if you're with a partnership, you have those issues where you may not agree with what they're doing with the business. You know, that's, Many, many entrepreneurs have dealt with that issue. And I, mm. I think to me, it causes more problems than you want to do with.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So for those who are listening and thinking, well, I'd quite like to build my blog and sell it for 6 million. In this episode, we're going to go through three phases. We're going to find out how Larry grew, investment ju- Investor Junkie. We're going to find out how he monetized it and then also how he exited as well. So talking about the growth phase, so you started it in 2008, 2009, recession, most people think that's a dreadful time to start a business feels quite apt right now but you're like actually no this seems like a pretty good time what was your thinking behind that well
1: i mean to me i think creating businesses during recessions are the best time in fact i think it's the exact opposite i think entrepreneurs are like the like the the firemen that go run towards a fire you you see the opportunities available to you if anything more opportunities happen during recessions it's the classic of like real estate the same issue Hmm. you buy you, you make money when you buy the property, not when you sell it. meaning you the deal that you get at, is really at the time of bu- buying this, the asset or in this case trading the asset as far as a business is concerned. So you want to think of it in those terms. you want to create an asset that you build over time and the value is created from that from the, from the get-go. but in, in times of recession, you know there people are really just there are major disruptions in the economy so therefore mm-hmm. there's greater opportunities in my eyes. the times of where everything's going great, if anything, that's the worst time to start a business because too many people get comfortable. Like we just saw, you know, a few years ago, people were getting really comfortable with just stupid business ideas. I mean, I use the example of WeWork. That was one point valued, I think, at 44 billion or even more than that, I think. And where are they now? With the you know the economy pretty much grounded to a halt and everyone working from their homes, no one needs office space. The rent.
0: Yeah. The concept of buy low, sell high is, is I guess, every investor, every kind of rookie investor's mantra, like everyone in the, if you stop someone on the street and said, if you're investing, what should you do? They'd say buy low, sell high. But <laughs> when you're actually in a low, it feels very counterintuitive to be buying, doesn't it? Because everyone's selling. That's why it's low. So that kind of running towards the fire is the necessity in buy low sell high it's already it's all fine to say buy low sell high but actually in practice what we're talking about is doing the complete opposite of what the rest of the herd is doing which is quite difficult to do isn't it in practice
1: yeah i mean even in 2009 even now where there's certain companies i've just bought stock in you know, personally and it's like you're like is this a right decision to do mm. you're really, you really know, you have a gut check and it can be definitely unnerving and mm. that to me is i think a at least for me, a good indicator that I'm doing the right thing. If it really causes my stomach to churn, I think that's a good, uh, good, good thing to do. Where you have to understand that's, that's a natural reaction and go with it as opposed to go the other direction. I think as entrepreneurs in general, we tend to do, when everyone's zigging, we tend to zag. I yeah. think that's really,
0: again, where the great opportunities are as a business owner absolutely i've just bought a lot of stock in boeing i don't know what you think about that but that's that's definitely low <laughs> yes i mean
1: i'm not going to comment on individual stocks on the podcast, but i agree yeah there's there's opportunities out there and in some cases you could argue that because of the federal government backing these companies they're they they're socializing their losses and not dealing with the issues that they've had so there, there are opportunities in those cases too even if they're maybe federally manipulated if you will
0: There's no investment advice on this podcast. Um, So you managed to get Investor Junkie to 300,000 visits a month, right?
1: Started, yeah, started from zero. And so it was a brand new site, had no other, you know, had no bit traffic when I first started. And yeah, grew it to really a maximum around 300,000 a month.
0: And what were your main traffic sources? Obviously organic. Was that your organic search as your primary? mostly. I, I mean, the...
1: The, the interesting thing is, if you look at the data out there, I, and this is, I've talked about this on a few other podcasts, to me, most people don't think of it in terms of what's most of the traffic people get for their blogs or sites. And organic search is definitely still part of that. Even though I, you know, you could argue organic search and click-through rates are decreasing over the past 10 years, which they have, you're still going to get most of your traffic from organic search. So if you're not focusing on organic search, you're missing out on a huge audience. So, mm-hmm. So with that said, you should without question, understand how SEO works and become an expert in that set topic. Either yourself individually or hire a firm that you know knows what they're talking about as opposed to most, in my opinion, most SEO firms don't. They I, It's a little bit of blasphemy here, but I think most people don't. Most SEO companies, especially the low-end ones, you know, offer these guarantees of rank first on the page one of you know whatever keyword term, and that's not how SEO works. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that's a process, and it's a process that can take... You know, six months to a year, it's a very long game where you're not going to, you know, overnight, unlike, say, paid traffic, where you can instantly get results, and that's a good thing. SEO is a long game where it takes six months to a year before you finally see changes or improvements in your blog or site. Mm.
0: But e- even that, that's that's the kind of buy low, sell high thing, isn't it? People go in, like, we sell SEO campaigns to clients, and we tell them exactly that, and they say, yep, I understand, and then three months <laughs> in, they're like, Tim, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not sure this is going well. We're still not ranking number one. And it's like, yeah. oh,
1: dude. <laughs> I know. It, it, there is that impatience. That's part of the issue I had with prior with clientele as well. Not necessarily with SEO, but the same instant results that you have to educate and help. If you're doing SEO consultation, you have to tell them, this is a long game. You have yeah. to really educate them what their expectations are and not. it's So it's more of an expectation issue than mm-hmm. anything. But granted... Um, there are some people that even in the SEO themselves think that you can instantly you know, make these changes and just overnight you rank for certain keywords. And that's just
0: not the reality. No, that I mean, in 2012, that was possible. But these days, yeah. Google's a bit more sophisticated than that. And uh, particularly for longer term, uh, longer tail phrases like, so Investor Junkie ranking really well for some pretty competitive terms. Um, how to invest stocks in the US, number one. Uh, people searching for reviews for different companies in the space as well. So obviously the content planning process has been central to, to generating that sort of growth. How would you describe your content planning process? How did you know what to write about?
1: Um, I, well, I did the, the divide and conquer strategy, meaning we, we would go out and really make sure we covered a topic and covered that in detail before we really went on to other topics. I mean, maybe we would cover and put a, a, a stake in the ground to cover on certain categories. Mm. But it was a long, again, going back to the you know, lawn and planning process, it was we are going to talk about this subject and really talk about every aspect around that subject and become the expert in authority in that said topic. Hence, you know, why you even still to this day see good rankings because of the whole goal was to become the authority. And not mm. only in terms of making sure breadth, breadth, but also depth, meaning we really covered the topics in detail Either better than competition or just make sure we're comprehensive and giving out you know, details that are, or documentation that was not found anywhere else. On top of, I think updating content is a key factor of SEO that a lot of people don't think about, meaning mm. the freshness indicator, how, how current, how accurate this data is. We mm. really focused on making sure content was kept current. That uh, to me, nothing's worse than going to a review or an article and you read it and go, as a reader, this is you know, outdated content. This is you know, three, four months old. This no longer applies to what my issue is, mm. especially for service, services that are constantly adding new features and functionality. If they're you know adding new functionality, our goal was to try to get at least the next day, or if not that day, the update the review. So therefore it was current as of that day. And people I think rewarded us for that that said issue. Meaning they would go to our review and see, hey, they already have this new feature that we just were looking for. It's already there. Where we go to this other review, you know, where is it? It's you know, six months a year old. So therefore they would trust us more you're going through the whole idea of E-T-A-T. You know, we were definitely showing our authority and expertise because of we were keeping our content current. Mm. But I definitely think that's a key factor. Uh, on top of, um, you know, I think, so overall our strategy in terms of content, we plan it out, we treat it more like a magazine. Now, granted, my blog was a little different than maybe others, but we would treat it, my model was using, in the offline world, Money Magazine, which ironically is now only online. But they, what they did was do topics, and they would t- cycle these topics every, say, a year to two years because that's usually the lifestyle lifespan of a, a reader for their magazine who would treat it the same way and our, ironically we would have about a year to a year and a half before we'd cycle through our audience they would just you know they just get bored or their issues gets resolved meaning they were at some crisis or some major event in their life like a new job getting married having a baby getting divorced what have you and they would you know look for seek for advice out there so they would go to our site for that reason be it in terms of reviews specifically or more articles on certain topics like having a child, what are the issues of planning retirement, having planning education expenses or you know, dealing with the increased expenses of having a baby, what have you. Mm. So those are all those are the way we plan out our site was we do you know, month by month, we're gonna cover this topic and either update existing articles or make sure we create new articles that didn't exist.
0: That's really interesting. And I'm hearing you talking about updating old articles, it makes me Think of conversations I've had with with clients or even that we've had internally and I think it can often be tricky to justify going back to a piece and updating it if maybe it hasn't done as well as you'd hoped. And the tendency can be, well, we could instead of spending time doing that thing, up, we could just start from scratch and we could just do another one. Or, you know, we could, you know, obviously that one hasn't worked. It hasn't done what we wanted. So let's just kill it with fire and then we'll just go over here and do something (laughs) new. So how did you how did you balance that between spending time on something that wasn't going to work versus saying, right, we're just do you just have a blanket rule that everything on the site is always up to date?
1: Um. There would be cases where we would do an annual audit. We would constantly determine, does this article make sense anymore? Mm. Or should we merge it with an existing article? Or should we trade a new one, to your point? Uh, Dependent on the article. I think right. You know, there are cases to be said, he, you're better off keeping an existing article and prove it. And it's, it, again, we have definitely realized over time, we would we'd start talking. There's only so many different ways to talk about investing. It's a pretty limited subject, to be honest. Yeah. You know, it's, you laugh, but that's people don't think of it that way. Like everyone's trying to, it's been said by a few uh, writers in the personal finance space is you try to write topics or discuss topics as if they've never been discussed before and discuss them in a new inventing ways, even though you've maybe discussed it 10 times prior. So as a writer, you constantly have to think about that. But from an SEO strategy, you want the exact opposite. You want to be really the authority on that said topic and really only have one or maybe two articles on that said topic. Or if you are making sure you, you either merge them together or, to make sure they're more distinct and solve different needs because of the intent is becoming more and more of an issue. Mm. Meaning, SDL is really about intent, where they are in their, their sales funnel journey. And I think most people fail to realize that, that really, SDL is just another sales funnel. Mm. Be it you know for a, you know either a review or for an article. They're really determining, you have to determine where they are in that process. If they're the process of education, that's usually a different topic and different way to present an article than... I'm looking to buy said services or said service. So therefore, you want to make sure you, you cater your articles for those different audiences.
0: So just circling about something that you said right at the start, which was you wanted to go really deep in certain topics. And the message I'm getting from you is that going deep doesn't necessarily mean creating 10 different articles about that topic, it means making one and then going back to it and refining it and making it as a, maybe if like a small number, but making them as amazing as possible and not giving up on them and just moving on to the next thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, on top of that, the thing I've not really seen many people discuss not only in terms of content, so depth, but also functionality, I think that the key distinction nowadays is much more community content is a commodity. There's mm-hmm. only, again, going back to, there's only so many different ways to talk about a certain topic before you're really repeating yourself or really com- competing against others. I mean, to me, you, you have to look at it from functionality aspects as well, meaning applications or features or widgets that you can add on your site that not only helps you create a better moat for your site, meaning protect yourself against co- competition, but also adds value that people are looking for. So I always looked at it as big picture. What can we do, not only in terms of content, but what functionality can we add to add value that just didn't exist before in terms of comparison tools, in mm. terms of the reviews, in terms of the way we displayed the content, make it easy to digest as well. So presentation can matter as well, not just purely the content itself. I mean, you can have the best content, right? And if it's not presented in a good fashion, people are just going to ignore it and say, this is rubbish. I'm going to go off and go to some other site, bounce and go somewhere else. You have to think in those terms. It's all about the user experience. And Google, I mean, what we've discussed before, is it was much easier to gain Google you rank for certain keywords by you know, either repeating the topic or, or getting a bunch of backlinks to your blog. But nowadays, Google's really measuring and matching what the user experience is. So user experience can matter even more so than ever. Hmm. And there are definitely cases where you can rank for an article. If you're an expert, considered an expert in that said topic, you can rank for an article that's mid-competition level without any backlinks. And I've seen that not only on my sites, But also I've seen on others where you can rank for that subtopic with zero backlinks. So it's not about back, granted, backlinks still matter in the space of Google, but it's not the only factor. It's becoming much more about are you considered an authority in that subtopic? Are you an expert in that subtopic? And what are you presenting that topic better than the competition? So really SEO is about improving or being better than competition. And the analogy I always use is you don't have to outrun the bear, you just have to outrun your competition. You, know, you really SEO is about that analogy that you're you're really competing about with others. You're not competing against Google. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Google actually wants you to win if you're good. I think that's the other, um, the other thing that can easily be confused. So you, you mentioned links. There was much of your focus during the early days and and as the as the site grew, was much of your focus on getting links. Did you go and look to get featured on other sites? <laughs> You
1: know, you know, laugh at this. No, I. We actually did not focus on SEO or backlink strategy initially. That was the least of my on uh, my um, uh, thought process. Where really, until the tail end, that I discuss and actually hired a firm to really become the, the point person or the point company to help me with the, the backlink strategy. But initially, no, I did no backlink strategy. I just made sure we created the best content and mm. focused on that. And that's, I mean. I look at more about what we can control, especially in this day and age where, you know, back then, maybe when I first started, you should go out and get backlinks because if people mm-hmm. didn't know any better. But nowadays, I think people are very much suspect and very uh, hold close to their chest, you know, giving out backlinks to other sites. Uh, so I think that's, it's a very, you can't, on you know, top if you don't have control over it, meaning people will add links because if they think it adds value. I think mm-hmm. that's really the key. Where to me, I'd rather control what I can control is the, the site content, the way we present it, the way that, user experiences and work on that first and then go you know find backlinks later
0: i think it's really smart we get people asking us to help them get links and we look at the site and think what what, uh, what uh, no <laughs> <laughs> you know let, let's yeah. start let's start with the website first there's no amount of links that are going to help a crappy site let's let's be honest so yeah. i think, think that makes a lot of sense um what about the importance of social media on uh on growing the site. I know that the site now has YouTube, uh, Twitter, Facebook, I think, maybe LinkedIn as well. Like, how important have those been to the growth, or is it just mostly search? I mean, they're, the,
1: the new owners I know are focusing more on YouTube, which is smart. That would definitely be a, a, a good SEO strategy. I mean, to me, even a podcast, I mean, that's, that's the platform we're on now. I think a uh, podcast can be a great SEO strategy. I mm. mean, if, my example, if you search my name with the word podcast, Google's smart enough know all the podcasts I've been on. And on top of that, it's now transcribing those podcasts. So those are great strategies. Hmm. But out of the ones you mentioned, initially I would say SEO was, when I owned it, it was about 80% of the traffic, uh, where most of it came from organic search. Where I started introducing more paid traffic, where organic social media really, especially in this day and age, is really such a minor, if anything, you have to pay to play with these major uh, social media platforms, be it uh, Facebook or Twitter, or what have you, they want you to you pay for that traffic, so you've mm-hmm. got to really do paid traffic instead, and that's a different strategy than organic search or org- organic uh, uh, social media. Yeah. So, I would focus, to me, on if you're going to do social media, more paid traffic than anything, and use it as a way to get people the first touch, if you will, or maybe repeat interactions with your brand than the first interaction.
0: And and you ran paid traffic for Investor Junkie, did you? Mm-hmm, yes. Yeah. So. One of the challenges that I think people come up with when they're, when they're running a blog or a magazine site is how can we justify paying for visitors if we're not kind of directly monetizing them? It's not easy that you can say, oh, there's like an eight times ROI because they're buying this product or anything like that, particularly if a lot of the income is coming through affiliate. How do well, you make that decision? Well, that you
1: can actually with affiliate. That's the thing that most affiliates don't do is they don't properly track. They're they're more than happy to get a report every month that says we've had five conversions or whatever amount of conversions and be done with it. When reality is that's not for pay traffic, yeah, you you're really shooting yourself in the foot. If you're if you're doing pay traffic and you're not properly measuring it, be it affiliate or your own products, you're really not you should not be doing pay traffic. <laughs> I can definitely say that from the get-go. Do not do pay traffic if you're not measuring your your conversions. With that said uh, you, with affiliate marketing, you can totally, What I, my goal was to treat affiliate marketing as if it was our own products and services. We need to measure conversions. So we mm. would do paid traffic, we would know, are we ROI positive or not? So we had measures, we had ways to measure that traffic and measure those conversions. And therefore, we did very well with it because of that reason. And on top of that, what I would say is marketing, be it for your own products or affiliate marketing, it's about multiple touch points. There's to me, a lot of people don't convert on that especially cold traffic on that first interaction. You've got to engage them multiple times. And the stats show where, eight to ten. I think it's even higher than that to be honest from my own data. that causes before someone finally converts on that said product. Mm-hmm. So in our cases it depends on what the where they are in that sales funnel again. But we we're you know, if we were dealing with a review or a promotion, they were very close to converting. But if there's someone that's just learning about robo advisors or learning about how to invest they're much higher on that sales funnel and they need to be interacted more. So therefore, re- campa- remarketing campaigns made more sense
0: for that type of audience. Yeah, okay, that, that makes that makes total sense. So that segues us nicely into monetizing the site. Um, we've been talking about how you've monetized it with um, affiliates. And obviously with a site that's getting 300,000 visits a month, there's a fair few ways of monetizing. Why did you choose affiliate? And would your decision be any different today if you were starting the site from scratch?
1: Uh, well, I mean, really, you have three major ways as a you know magazine slash blog uh, to monetize. It's either through ad banners, which I think are horrible. But if anything, they're getting worse. Uh, I think the other way is through affiliate marketing or, and or your own products or services. So really, those are the three major ways. And affiliate marketing, in my eyes, is a, to me, rewards... Quality over quantity, mm. meaning ad banners are usually CPC based, you know, cost per click, and you pay. I mean, you, you as the advertiser, you pay per click, so it doesn't guarantee any success or not a, a conversion or or a lead. Where affiliate marketing, to me, is the best option for as a, a merchant to you only pay if they're action whatever specified action you define. In this case, you know, a customer or a lead. You def- and or it could not only be a lead, but it could be I require the person to sign up and deposit a certain amount of money in the case of investment services, where you do not get any commission if they don't, not only, they may sign up, but they, if they pay, deposit no money, you get mm. no commission. So therefore, you can define what the success is or not. That's to me the key for the merchant. Now, as the affiliate, it's the best of the both worlds. So there, granted, I had a lot of traffic, but to me, it's about in the quality of that traffic. Mm. To me, you want to make sure you send the right person to the right service. So therefore, you won as the affiliate, the merchant one, because you, they're very happy with the customer. They have have, if anything, a higher lifetime value because of that. And the person, the reader, is also happy because if they are sent to the right service for them. Mm. So that was really the key, and that's why tools on our site, like comparison tools, worked really well. We made sure they would send them to the right service. The goal wasn't to you know, get the highest payout. Our goal was to make sure we had the right the, the visitor sent to the right service for them. Mm. Again, and and. Coming to so audiences, again, traditional you know publishing model online, it's all about again getting the most traffic and then getting rewarded for that through clicks. Where affiliate marketing again is about quality of that person, you want to send the right person to the right service. And it's most affiliate marketers don't think in those terms. They think of it again as, I'm going to you know try to increase the payout, get the highest payout possible. So therefore, I'm going to promote this product or service because it has that highest payout, but it may not ha- have the best best interaction or best lifetime value because if they go sign up and therefore they're not happy with the service they bounce and go somewhere else that you know to me is a failure in my eyes where affiliate marketing to me the best success is making sure everyone's happy in that process
0: yeah i couldn't agree more i wanted to pick out something like uh, just for listeners who don't know so about a week ago i sent out an email to our email list saying that we're looking to buy some companies and immediately had about 100 responses from people wanting to sell their companies. And a lot of these were blogs. Also had a lot of people saying, you're a hideous human being, Tim. You're an absolute disgrace and scum <laughs> of the earth and that type of stuff as well. But that's, that's fine. We always get that. We're used to that. Yeah. Um, a lot of the sites that were sent over were blogs. And we asked them for their revenue and it was like not much at all, Without without exception. So you're running a or you you started to run a blog that made a good amount of money and you sold it for a lot of money. Everyone else is running blogs that make almost no money and they're trying to make money through whatever Amazon affiliate programs or, or, or whatever. The It seems like one of the key differences is that you recognized an audience which were going to spend money. So you're not writing about necessarily how to make cupcakes or something like that. You're writing about things like robo-advisors where there is a big incentive and there is a big uh, reward for getting someone to, 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 to buy that thing. And then you're writing content to help them choose the best option for them in a crowded space. And yeah. you're providing a valuable service in that you're giving a third party comparison of these different things like that's obvious to you, but to people who are running blogs about how to buy cup, how to make cupcakes and are making their money, that's a, that's a huge mindset shift, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, in the case of cupcakes
1: or let's say food blogs, you know, your goal is to, it could be easily utensils and appliances to make sure you create whatever said, mm. you know, then you're trying to bake or create. So, therefore, you're adding value. You have to look at it as, to me, either, you know, in my case, in personal finance and investment space or a food blog. You're you're trying to add value where they're they're looking to shortcut that process. That's one option as a business owner. You're trying to add value some way, shape, or form. Mm. Otherwise, why do you exist? In affiliate marketing, you are adding value. You're you're trying to help you know, understand what their needs are and make sure you give the best advice, best recommendations. So they're looking to shortcut that process. That's why, you know, why people look towards experts because they want to. You know, they're looking towards you to be the expert on a said topic. They're not. Mm. So they're, they're looking to. Make, help you, you're trying to help them decide on what the best thing or best option is for them. Again, you can't get into their head, but you're trying to at least facilitate that process. You're trying to give the, the best options available to them. Yeah. And therefore, you, know, you, you can also, from user experience, overwhelm them too with too many options. You want to limit it as well. Not to say that you're trying to lead them down. I, I, the analogy, unfortunately, sort of works is the herding cattle. You're sort of making sure you're understanding what their needs are but also trying to limit the options where you don't, if you give too many options, they can also be overwhelmed from a user experience. Meaning it's usually around six or seven where you start, you know, people get overwhelmed to go, well, I don't know what to do. So mm-hmm. therefore I'm not gonna take any action. To me, that's also a bad event as well for them because they are ultimately trying to solve whatever said issue they're trying to go towards you for. Meaning again, in my case for a blog, they're looking to solve their investment issues. They're looking to you know, save for retirement, let's say. So therefore they are looking to solve that problem. Be it for you be it go to you or someone else. So you're trying to ultimately solve that issue. That's not to say you're you're trying to limit the options on purpose, but you're at least trying to give you know, certain options that are viable for them. But at least you're yeah. trying to get more data ahead of time to make sure you send them down the right path. So audiences matter. Meaning again, you're not trying to get a conversion no matter what. You're trying to make sure you send them down the right path. Where some people robo advisors wasn't the best option, where they're better off doing it themselves. Or if in some cases hiring a financial advisor instead. You've got to make sure you you know where you're at the top of the funnel before even sending them down that right path.
0: I think it'll be reassuring to people to hear that you... The, the, the outcome in selling the blog and making something really valuable, You you definitely did that, but you've done that in a way that's not how can I maximize the revenue per visitor? You're not necessarily looking at, oh, who's giving me the most commission per acquisition right let's change the focus of every article so it's a pitch for that like you actually care about getting it right for them and helping them to get it right and i think that will be reassuring for people that are trying to increase monetization I mean,
1: in effect you do but in the end you do increase your you maximize your income because of you're making everyone happy in that transaction
0: mm.
1: you know that's the way to look at it is that it's a long game you know be the same thing with seo it's the same issue that you're trying to make sure everyone's happy in that transaction because you're not doing it purely from a money monetized standpoint. You're trying to make sure you send the right person to the right service. Hmm. So therefore you do come out ahead in the end where it, if you do try to maximize revenue just for the sake of revenue, it is a short-term game. And I think a lot of, I saw this in my personal finance space. A lot, I saw a lot of blogs do that. And I think not only do the users see through that, I think they're also, they're usually not around for that very long period because of, you know, I survived 10 years um, and I think a lot of blogs barely survive a year or two because of they're trying to do that short-term win. Mm. And I see that in affiliate marketing, but I see it in other businesses as well. Affiliate marketing is not exclusive to you know, people's short-term you know, thought process.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, on the topic of making everyone happy, Amazon just slashed their affiliate payouts. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask, what, what effect do you think that's going to have on people choosing affiliate as a as a way of monetizing but also on content sites and magazine sites that will have relied on on that income
1: um in some ways i consider a good thing that amazon did this because of there's been so many best of blogs or best of websites on it's purely just trying to you know you do a a, um trying to make money off amazon you Mm -hmm. know with a short-term win and I think there there've been a lot of people gaming SEO for that reason as well, uh, so I think in some ways it's a good thing. But if you're in a business that are relying solely on Amazon, I mean that's a recipe for disaster. Relying on one affiliate is, I think, silly. But most people don't think of it that way. They're thinking of it, well, I'm going to you know skim off those profit profits from Amazon, and you're not really adding any value either. I've seen, I've looked at many. I'm sure you have too. You've looked at many sites for sale, and it's just purely. An arbitrage game. They're just <laughs> trying to skim off, you know, you know, in this case, small percentages off of Amazon, but not add any real value. Mm. Where, you know, where's the where's the value that you're adding? So, with that said, I think some of those blogs will either sell at a massive discount in the next few months, and from you know, as an entrepreneur, maybe that's a good opportunity to buy those, or some will realize that hey, Amazon's not the be all end all out there. Affiliate, if anything, based on prior events in 2017 where they, they did similar issue they cut affiliate commissions dramatically, like 20, 30% that period too. They'll look at, you know, maybe Amazon is not the best opportunity out there. Maybe Amazon really doesn't care about us as an affiliate and we'll choose other options. There are definitely other options out there. Not only higher paying out commissions, but also have better tracking where mm. to me, that's the biggest issue that I really, I always said, Amazon's the affiliate of last resort. You should always use Amazon if you have no other choice and you should use them. If you, again, that's the only option. But in most cases, you can use other affiliate programs. And not only do they have higher payouts, but again, you can measure and monitor your conversions, your, tra- your transactions. Because that's really, to me, the key distinction Is you want to know where's the source, again, not only source of traffic, but what pages on your site are converting better and more optimize that process and make sure it facilitates, again, everyone is happy in that transaction, not just you.
0: Yeah. For me, it's remarkable that Amazon still really offers a uh, affiliate commission at all you think if anybody doesn't need sites i mean if you say to someone hey go and buy this book or go and buy this thing like default behavior is they're gonna flick open amazon aren't they and you know why does amazon need to pay out for that and it, let alone purchases made on other products during that visit it feels like i don't know feels odd to well, me that's, anyway. yeah
1: i mean that's that's a good valid point i mean i, I was Discussing this on Twitter the other day. I think, I mean, we don't have the exact stats from Amazon, but I would be willing to bet probably what, 60, 70% of all their traffic's direct, mm. and maybe 30, 40% is SEO based, and maybe, well, maybe 20%, 30% is SEO based, and maybe another 10% is paid traffic. So, therefore, yeah, they I mean, what are they, the, the third most popular search engine? I think it's Google, YouTube, and then Amazon. So, therefore, people are using Amazon as a destination site without question. So, they're mm. bypassing your. The little affiliate site for commissions. Mm. Uh, so, with that said, to Amazon's point, if anything, this is a, effectively Amazon is killing their affiliate program without actually killing it because if some of the payouts are just so low. In my eyes, you're in some cases better off doing ad banners. You know, the, the payout is just so low. Mm. You know, from a CPM model, you might be better off doing ad banners instead. So you got to run those numbers. If you're if you're not doing that now, you should definitely be thinking about. Uh, you know, does it make sense to even me keep this Amazon, if you have no other option, does it make sense to me keep Amazon or do an ad banner instead? If anything, mm. you should test it. But most people don't think in those terms of these, especially small affiliate blogs. It's just purely, again, a side hustle that making a few hundred dollars a month, if that, mm. where they're happy with that. To me, it's not really, it's a good side hustle maybe, but it's not really a, a real business. Mm. And again, you're not really adding much value either. So I think those are the key issues you got to focus on is where can you Add value, and Amazon is definitely not the only game in town. You should look at other options that not only can perhaps convert better, but the payouts are better and an overall better experience. You know, going to, Again, clicking on LinkedIn, and going to Amazon, you're, you can potentially lose that customer forever because, to your point, they can go out and buy like 10 other items on the site, and you lose that person to your site. So that's the thing that Google's in general, has not rewarded affiliate uh, sites. They really hate affiliate programs, mm. to be honest. So therefore you you know I purposely added or removed the idea of having you know, above the fold a link to whatever affiliate program on purpose because Google wants to see them you know they, what they don't want to see is someone going to a site and then clicking off to go to some other third party site they want to see them read content engage in content do you know things on your site before they go to the you know a third party so you would, again you're Google's rewarding people to add value mm. not only in terms of rankings but to me it's it's better for you as well even though you know, people will put a link right at the very bottom, you know, buy now for this said affiliate. That's to me usually, especially nowadays with very competitive keywords, you usually don't rank well for.
0: Them. Hmm. I want to ask you about the the selling of the business. Um, you sold for five point eight million cash. Congrats! What sort of? I understand you're not going to be able to share everything, but just for those who are. Who are thinking? I want to grow to that size. I want to grow my blog to that size. What sort of stats should they be aiming for to achieve a valuation in that sort of ballpark? Uh, well, it's just for
1: six, six million USD, hmm. um, so six for six million. I mean, I guess it depends on. I mean, it depends on the company. Some companies value purely traffic and the revenue. That's it. Uh, some may. Value the technology behind the scenes. It depends on the company. I, to me personally, if I were if I was on the on the coin of buying a, another site, I would look at more than just purely the the traffic and the income. I would look at what the opportunities are for growth. Mm. What are the opportunities? What technologies maybe behind the scenes that it has that no other site has? And if it doesn't have that, where can you again? Where can you add value? Going back to adding value, where can you add value? Where are the gaps in the site that you see? They're going to Amazon affiliate sites. They mostly are, you know, making money off of Amazon. You know, can you use other third-party affiliate programs that maybe convert better, that have higher commission rates, or are you? You know, can you add value? Is there a comparison that could be added to the site that currently doesn't exist? So I would look at those gaps if I was willing, if I was willing to buy a site. What gaps are there so I can increase that revenue? Like a flip, you know, a house flip. Yeah. You look at the opportunity this you know it goes back to buy low sell high your what opportunities are there if someone's selling it, you know high selling something that's in my opinion overvalued why would you buy that be it a house real estate or a blog you know to me you, you have to look at what are the opportunities as an entrepreneur mm. are, they, are there opportunities to increase the revenue and value in the site if there's none then you're why buy it i mean then it's purely just an in, in, income play so your your options to increase are not there it's kind of limited so Going back to, it depends on the business. On the other side, you know, again, certain companies will, are just purely looking to grow their portfolio and diversify. You know, the company that bought mine wanted to get in more into personal finance space compared to the other niches they were in previously and wanted to get in the U.S. market and looked at my site. That was a site that was a brand into itself as opposed to a lot of blogs, and I've seen this happen, where the blog and the personal identity of the person are kind of tied together very closely. Mm-hmm. Mm. From the get-go, I created Investor Junkie for that sole purpose was to be a brand into itself. Now, on the, the so that was the positive. My only regret is I didn't build up my own personal brand in parallel to do that. So if I were to ever sell, I would have you know some identity outside of Investor Junkie. So I, mm. I I'm foolish on that part, but you know so I'm sort of kind of fix that or rectifying that now. But I guess in general, uh, I would make sure you you have a brand or a blog that kind of can live on its own. It's not tied to your identity. Where I've seen a few personal finance bloggers in my space sell, but yet they're you know the brand, and I've seen them the, once they sold the brand has waned because of the the owner's no longer there. Yeah, the the voice, the authority is no longer there, and I think that's what kills a lot of blogs. Me personally, I would never buy a blog where it's tied so pers- closely to a person's personal brand.
0: Absolutely, it works like that for any business, isn't it? If it's dependent on the owner, then it's a pretty unattractive. Acquisition target because they're not going to be like you say. You're never half pregnant. They're either in or they're out, aren't they? And most people, once you've given them some money for their business, they're not wanting to stick around for the next ten years to help you continue growing it. Eh?
1: No, but and, and why I'm creating a personal brand now myself and, uh, personally is it, I don't you know I know I'm not going to sell it. I don't have to sell it. Mm. I may create other brands down the road that are independent from me, but I, I definitely want to build up my own personal brand now. Than anything, because of I want to make sure I have you know known as a thought leader and expert in this said space, as opposed to just being the anonymous person that traded investor junkie. Uh, it, again, it works to my advantage to be able to sell it. But again, now that I've sold it, you know what's next? I'm at the what next stage <laughs> of my my career.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Larry, it's been absolutely amazing to uh, to talk to you. It's um, yeah, it's fantastic, and I think that anybody who's running a content site or blog is gonna yeah you will become a guru for them so where can they where can they hunt you out and follow you and buy your courses and follow you and copy everything that you've done
1: well the easiest place is go to larrylidwood.com uh, but i also have a uh, you can text larry podcast uh, to number 31996 which i think is only in the u.s but it's larry podcast 31996 i should definitely find out i'll try if it only applies to, yeah if it applies only to the states only but it's 31996 and it's Larry Podcast.
0: And what, uh, so what happens that,
1: when they do that, Larry? You can sign up for my, uh, get a, uh, actually have a free guide for affiliate marketing.
0: Oh, that's cool. I can confirm it does not work in the UK.
1: <laughs> I kind of figured that. So, so if, if Otherwise, yeah, if you go to LarryLudwood.com slash podcast, you'll get the same page.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Larry, for your time. And uh, congrats on everything you've built. Thank you, Tim. Hope you found this video useful. And remember, if you enjoyed it, click the little like button. If you wanna check out more videos from Exposure Ninja, then don't forget to hit the subscribe button and that little bell icon, or leave us a comment if you've got any questions or suggestions of things that you'd like to see us cover in future. Don't forget, if you want some help with your digital marketing, then you can head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and request a free website and digital marketing review. What will happen here is we'll ask you a few questions about your website and your goals and one of our team will then put together a 15-minute video where we'll show you how to improve your website's ranking, your traffic and your conversions. It's completely free of charge. I know, crazy, right? But danger there is a chance that you'll become a client after seeing this review because it'll blow your socks off i have to be honest but don't let that put you off go to exposureninja.com forward slash review and i look forward to seeing you in the next video